Today, we're talking with Reverend Leave Larson Andrews of Salem Lutheran Church. This ELCA congregation has a 132-year history in Spokane, which means this isn't its first pandemic. Larson talks with me today about her church's desire to serve the West Central neighborhood, the online worship experience, and the passionate people who make up her congregation. Welcome to Faves Forward, a podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. Larson Andrews, and I serve as the pastor of Salem Lutheran Church in the West Central neighborhood here in Spokane. The congregation is 132 years old this year, kind of wild. It has lived through other pandemics, um, and that's one area of, of ministry I'm curious about. When it's open to me, I kind of want to go dig up in the archive that we have at Whitworth University and understand what did, uh, what did our forebears do? <laughs> um, the congregation is very rooted in the neighborhood and that's uh, something we have been grieving is when we don't meet in person or meet in that embodied way, uh, there isn't the simple kind of literal open door and folk wandering in um, from West Central. We are offering a Sunday we would call it a service of the word. There's readings and preaching, hymn singing and prayers. And that happens on Facebook Live. So that's Sunday morning. And then I also offer a little evening prayer or nighttime prayer called Compline. Uh, and I've most recently been doing that actually just for my backyard. <laughs> and that's been okay. You know, and someone pointed out that actually folks quote wander in, if you will, in a sort of digital manner on the internet. And that's been a really fascinating new area of connection and so even while we grieve what we're missing and what we've lost for the time being i think we're also grateful for the community continuing to be be the body of christ be connected uh, and be in relationship that's so great your community it's been a while since i've worshiped with you guys but describe mm -hmm. your, your congregation i think you have kind of a mix of ages a mix of people it really is it's kind of a wild Quirky little mix. Um, yeah, we almost have just the widest the full spectrum there. Um, I've got my 85-year-olds, uh, some, some near 90s. Interestingly enough, I actually lost two or three people in their 90s over the winter. And we're while we still miss them, I almost give thanks that they died at that time. And we could like gather as we know how to do a funeral and to really give thanks for their lives. And I've checked in with some of their children and I'm, you know, one of the areas of life that I've been praying about a lot are our grown children whose parents are in care facilities and the, the, just the visiting is so different or, or impossible. Uh, anyway, so that was a tangent, but um, so uh, yeah, I've got folks that are upper, upper elderly, you'd say, and then that boomer, um, age group as well. Uh, they're actually super excited to get on Facebook and tune in. It's really, really funny. And then um, we have more recently uh, quite a few like younger families, families with children have joined. And, you know, I'm 
so amazed with the specific families because they, for example, that first Black Lives Matter protest occurred on the afternoon of Pentecost, Sunday of Pentecost. And it just wasn't quite on my radar yet until one of the moms from our Sunday school group said, hey, uh, are, are we going? And I said, oh, well, sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's NAACP is inviting us. Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> I had to kind of catch up to, um, to this wonderful parent. So, and then we have folks in their 20s. And interestingly, um, a number of those folk you might say are millennials or younger. Um, it's, it's those folks that have said, you know, tuning in to Facebook for quote unquote worship. I have to use scare quotes around it. I can't really call it worship yet. Uh, but they, they have said that's actually too painful because it touches all the things they feel they've lost. So that's been fascinating to me. Like, you know, culturally they'd be understood as like the digital natives and everything, but it's them who are telling me I miss the embodied rituals, the touch, the being in person. So that's fascinating to me. And then, uh, yeah, we've got lots of just like fantastic, hilarious little kids. Um, there's a wide diversity in terms of like gender identity and sexuality. We are still, uh, rather pale <laughs> racially <laughs> um and then you know something we've been discussing actually as a congregation is the evangelical lutheran church in america or elca is statistically the widest denomination in the united states so that's difficult and we also simply want to just do our homework there and kind of um comprehend how salem has benefited from racism in spokane how we've participated and been complicit and then what, what we want to do to build a, a different future. So yeah, it was kind of long, but I would say, oh, there's also quite a bit of economic diversity. And that is an area where while we have not been meeting in person, uh, we have done a great deal of setting aside funds or actually even collecting physical food for both the neighborhood and for one another. So soon we will actually compile what we're calling an economic justice team of people to manage some of the funds, some of the donations that have come in um, specifically to, to help with paying rent, help with grocery bills, you know, other kinds of bills just to get people some security, some assurance that they'll be able to make it through this weird time. And yeah, acknowledging that there's a unemployment stuff might change come August and stuff. So, oof, but so I've, yeah, I've just been uh, rejoicing that the community is still, still doing its thing. <laughs> yeah. Still engaged. It sounds great. Oh, Salem has kind of been a staple in the West central neighborhood. You opened your doors to the homeless. Mm -hmm. um, was that last year, the year before? Two winters ago. Yeah. Two winters ago. And I remember speaking to one of your members once who said, you know, our vision is to just have our doors open all the time for people where they can just come in whenever they need to. Yep. Um, are you still able to serve West Central? I know you have a food pantry going on right now. And it's true. It'll just a little, the little one, the little free one out front. Yeah. It's yeah. It's that that's been a struggle. And um, are we serving West Central? I I think we still are one expression of that. You know, it's so funny how these little projects in a congregation can, can live or go dormant, but, uh, a couple years back, we had a request come from 
some of the residents living in Walnut Corners, which is a, a affordable housing effort that we were a part of, that they wanted to have a garden. So we built these six garden beds up in the alley that's kind of behind the church and it just never really took off. You know, I put dirt in there and well, it's like, okay. Um, well, it turns out that in pandemic, um, you can socially distance garden pretty well. And then we also have some newer members, uh, folks who moved back into West Central and they kind of took the project under their wing and there is produce, there are flowers growing in there and there are residents coming both to do a little garden and then to eat. So, you know, it's a small gesture, but it's there and it's, you know, kind of beautiful and powerful to see plants. Life. <laughs> Life growing. Yeah. But I think that's been a harder question to answer when you have such a kind of physical neighborhood embodied understanding of ministry. And then we can't be together. Oh, well, I'll also say that um, not long ago, Salem joined or rejoined Spokane Alliance, um, which is a very important step, I think, for us. Um, and a, a dimension of the Alliance's work right now is housing or examining barriers to housing and, and obstacles to uh, good housing in West Central. So several of our members are continuing to have those conversations, are checking in with West Central neighbors, and that's kind of a good, slow progress of development there. And um, yeah. That's an important conversation right now. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we've been aware of, you know, gentrification with its, with its cost and its benefits coming in to West Central there with Kendall Yards. But acknowledging that there are just so many levels to that housing topic. And um, so what, what level, you know, you mentioned our, our shelter and that was a city project that we agreed to host and we learned a lot and um, we're kind of now saying, huh, is, is that the level that we should be most active at or should we go back to the level of, you know, getting, buying property and creating more apartments or whatever. So ideally I think we're continuing to learn and just pay attention to what's happening in the neighborhood and yeah. Now you guys stopped meeting in person in March, I think. In March. In yeah. March. And the, the funny part there, I was really hesitant to stop. And then I got sick. Uh, I just learned had it finally confirmed it was not COVID-19. I don't have any antibodies. <laughs> um, but uh, right. So we were gearing up to meet on March 15th, even though that was that weekend where we learned that public schools be closed, you know, everything. That was kind of the big shutting down. Yeah. And then I woke up Friday feeling awful and I thought, oh no, <laughs> I can't, there is no way I can responsibly, you know, go forward. So we really actually, we didn't do anything that first week. It was just canceled. And then uh, I was, I was actually pretty sick the whole next week. So March 22nd, we had a hymn sing that happened on Facebook Live. And you know, you typed in your little favorite hymn on the comments and our wonderful musician uh, received the request and led this hymn and everyone sang, I guess, from home. <laughs> and then going forward, we, um, we have stuck with Facebook Live. I think there were two Sundays at least 
where I led just from my home um, and involved a couple family members. Um, and then from then on, my one musician, yeah, Drew Olson, who is also um, just a wizard when it comes to technology, thanks be to God, um, Drew has joined me at, in the sanctuary. We keep distant and he um, leads music and the liturgy and I preach and lead prayers. And Now I've noticed, I've talked to a lot of clergy as I've done this podcast. Yeah. I would say the majority are leading worship from the sanctuary um, mm. in the actual church, but some people are still doing it at home and just have set up like a background or something. Uh-huh. Is part of the reason you meet at the church for the music? Cause I, I feel like music is a really important part of your worship service. It is. There's that. And yes, absolutely. Because it's so much better to have a piano and another voice and not just me, my, my lungs. Um, but also we heard pretty early on when we, when we tried being in the sanctuary, um, how, how powerful it was for our members to see the space. And this is this little beautiful tension. I feel like that exists, has existed in the church, you know, is the church, the building, is it the people, uh, Yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I think it was, more, it's of course more primarily the people, the body of Christ that's living, but we understand our identity from coming together and then having associations with what has gone on in this room, Eucharist, baptisms, faith formation, uh, justice and advocacy and all that sort of thing. Like uh, it, there's meaning in the specific place. So that's just sort of an interesting little dance um, that I think the church is always doing. So this is a fascinating chapter. Uh, and I, I've seen a lot of people also share the phrase, you know, the church has left the building. <laughs> and it's, that's delightful in a sense of like, well, of course, you know, the spirit sends us out into the world. Um, but there's also the, the, the need for an anchor and the, the nurture of, of our bond and our togetherness. So yeah, again, it's just attention, but we have received some feedback of like, you know, we begin Sunday morning by pouring water into the baptismal font. And that's always been kind of a sign of like church is beginning now. We're rem- remembering who we are, our identity in baptism. And I had several people say, oh my gosh, just watching you pour the water. I felt like, you know, we were, we were connecting. It's like, oh, okay. And I usually say something like, you know, if you can get near water, wherever you are, <laughs> go run the sink or something. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> can you talk a little bit more about your, is it the Compline service? Is that how you say it? Compline? Yeah, Compline. Uh-huh. Okay. So Compline is this lovely little um, nighttime prayer, really kind of meant for almost as you're going to bed. Um, so I guess we do it earlier than you might. We do it at 730. And um, you sort of, commend the day whatever it has been to god to god's care and um there's like a brief confession and forgiveness and some hymns usually a psalm and then i'll pull one other biblical reading and then um i have been uh reading a bedtime story (laughs) so um you know wanting to catch any actual children that it might be still awake and, and tuning in with their parents. That's been true sometimes, but actually a lot of the adults are saying like the bedtime story is my favorite part. And so, (laughs) so sticking with that. And um, I mean, another really interesting part of what's happening in 
faith formation right now is actually children's literature is a wonderful space in which people are offering, you know, different images for God, uh, really wide, expansive imagery for God's people and the church and things like that. So when we're trying to address issues of racism, when we're trying to cultivate an anti-racist community life, reading some of these children's books is like kind of a beautiful simple way in. So I'm hoping to build up my library. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then we sing again and then kind of have a final couple prayers and that's that. So it's fairly simple and I've led it from the sanctuary, but it, it feels a little more like since it is nighttime prayer, it's, it's fine to do it from my home. Uh, and people have put up with just me <laughs> singing so <laughs> well they're doing the same thing at their house probably exactly <laughs> i know it's been funny though too i've actually let a few from my backyard and that's like a funny like i feel very vulnerable just out in the middle of my neighborhood you know <laughs> like uh, my iphone propped up on a you know a stool and a paint can and a kitty litter bucket and dad get at the right height you know <laughs> so whoever yeah. happens to be taking their evening walk behind me just you know inadvertently passes through worship <laughs> I think there's something really fitting about that though because I know you have invited your congregation into your home before right. to sing hymns and so this is a way for them to kind of kind of do that yeah well thanks for connecting that are you doing anything else online like you have two kids are you doing anything for the youth or yeah I don't lead anything else but there is um, again these wonderful parents kind of uh, rose up and said, hey, what if we have a little Zoom hour check-in at the same time we would be having Sunday school in the building? Um, so typically we'd have, there'd be an adult Bible study at nine and then also a Sunday school gathering at nine for any parents and children. So they, they've actually just rotated who, which parent, you know, makes the Zoom link. And then it's really not programmed. It's kind of just families checking in with each other. There were several weeks where the bulk of the activities were kids um, showing off their Lego creations. So that was, you know, what needed to happen. Um, I think that group is actually going to take a pause for a few weeks of summer just to kind of have a breather. And then they've actually been just now talking about a virtual VBS, Vacation Bible School. So we're not sure what that means yet, but I think that's a delightful idea. And then beyond that, I'm starting to talk, tinker with like an online Bible study of some kind. But the other thing we were wanting to develop is actually not screen faith formation, spiritual practices, which really are, they're abundant out there, but Lutherans are sometimes a little timid about them. Like we're not known for, you know, using icons or like praying the rosary. So I'm feeling like, Ooh, this could be a, a place where we actually build some new skills. So could we learn more about Ignatian examine prayer, for example, or um, yeah, or how to use an icon to set up a prayer space in your home, things like that, <laughs> which I mean, it kind of just pertains to what I feel has been a shift happening in June and July here is like, We've kind of all went into crisis mode in March and April, you know, wah. and then beyond that are, as the goalposts keep moving, as, you know, cases rise again, it's more like, okay, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And uh, maybe we need other skills or other approaches. Um, 
so that, but it, it takes quite a bit of energy to shift over into that way of functioning. So terrible it is that everything's happening right now. It's an opportunity to be creative and to learn new skills and to do church in a new way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I'm trying to like, yeah, strengthen those hope muscles of saying, well, what, what will be born here? Um, what kind of resilience will we be able to build? And certainly the, the Spokane Alliance has been asking those questions at a societal level to say like, uh, is it, are we finally going to understand that healthcare is a right, for example, or <laughs> that kind of thing? Um, and I'm wondering what are the new, new questions for the church? It's a moment of, um, I mean, it's going to go down in history. One yeah. day someone's going to look in the Whitworth archives and, that's and right. see what you guys did this time. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> yeah. So I have to ask you on your Facebook page, um, what is the Clergy Emergency League? Oh, right. So I, I'm actually still learning. <laughs> so I joined this group. Um, yeah, there's a lovely leader within the Lutheran Church named Leah Shade. And she wrote a book. Oh dear. Oh yeah. Preaching in the purple zone. Um, I think it's purple zone that she, the phrase she used, but basically addressing the task of preachers to address social political issues in the pulpit in responsible ways. Um, And I got to meet her back in February. Actually, it was like the last uh, in-person gathering thing that I participated in was this uh, lovely mentoring conference in Seattle. And she was our guest. And um, so when I saw this on Facebook, uh, it's, it's Leah Shade uh, and other leaders kind of gathering concerned clergy that are, are watching social political fabric. I don't say that the fabric's rending apart, but that um, so much confusion is being sown. This sort of climate of chaos and chronic anxiety is reaching such a fever pitch that deep inhumanity is and and will continue to happen. And the, you know, I really, I don't want to live from a place of fear, but tyranny thrives in chaos. Um, and I think, I mean, I think we're already experiencing that, but to, to sort of call to the church to say, um, we have a moral obligation to regard, you know, the holiness of, of our people, of all people, and then to attend to the inequities that are affecting our people and sort of how do, how do clergy do that together? You know, and sadly, I've been thinking too, just personally, we hear so much of like, oh, we're so divided right now. Oh, division, division. And I, I think clergy have an interesting responsibility to actually step back and wonder who's benefiting when we obsess or only lament the, the dividedness. Um, who, who's using this moment to uh, embolden or enrich or empower themselves by pointing out how divided we are over and over and over again? Do you know what I mean? Like to keep um, harping on that. And so to say, I think I, I got involved with this Clergy Emergency League to say, we are in an emergency and yet we need to be thinking long-term what is the job of the church when the powers are so blatantly acting only for their own empowerment 
and not for the good of the people. And I think, you know, maybe one, one job of the church is simply to hold the government to its own best definition of itself. You know, so like we say our government exists to serve all people. Well, there's a whole lot of ways that's not happening. So <laughs> um, rather than impose some sort of theocracy or, or religious, you know, you know, control, but just to simply say, if the basics are human flourishing, there's some real barriers to that. And then I think ways even that current leaders are, what, diminishing human life, um, threatening human life, taking human life uh, for the sake of, of staying in power. That's pretty scary. Lutherans love to bring up Dietrich Bonhoeffer as this glowing example of um, someone who, who lived faithfully in a time of insanity. There's actually a powerful sermon when I think about like politics and preaching from 1933 and Bonhoeffer's preaching in a place, I think it's called something like the Kaiser Wilhelm Chapel. Like it's named for an emperor or like, you know, like a civic uh, power. And uh, he preaches about Moses and Aaron and Moses waiting or the, the people of Israel waiting for Moses to return from Mount Sinai with the commandments. And as the people are waiting, they grow tired and then they ask Aaron to become their priest. And there's just these gorgeous, like he never says the word Hitler. He never says third Reich. He never says Nazi, but you know that he's saying we are letting go of the prophetic church of Moses and we're picking up this church of Aaron that's in cahoots with the empire. So it's this amazing example of preaching. Sorry, little rabbit hole there, but, um, so that was a long answer for that's okay. that's, <laughs> yeah, joining this uh, league. Um, I think hoping though, to, to build some capacity for a, a Bonhoeffer like moment um, or voice within the church. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. We're actually, Faith is working on a story about mm-hmm. politics and the church. You know, what is a clergy's responsibility? And so I'm going to make a note of that. That's really great. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, and always, I think, you know, the church, the church will always be at odds with the powers. Um, and we lose our way if we get too tightly obsessed with a political party, for sure. But always we speak to human issues. And I, I'm fond of saying too, like, I hate even saying issue. Like, it's just, like, what is going on in the lives of my flock? Poverty, no access to healthcare, you know, gender injustice and down the line. So we speak about those things because we are living them in the political, in the public square. Um, So speaking of Lutherans, (laughs) the ELCA celebrated its 50th anniversary of women's ordination last month. Is that right? That's true. And (laughs) did you guys do anything for that? Ah. I think we brought it up <laughs> and we like mentioned it and said, yay. And then like kept going. Um, it's been, it's been celebrated quite a bit in the last year. Um, there's actually a profound little video footage from the last churchwide assembly, which is, you know, representatives from all the churches in, um, in the ELSA coming together uh, and this beautiful, long celebratory procession of women pastors and deacons and, you know, but like, every size shape and stripe of of woman every physical ability is represented it's just like 
yeah, it makes you weep to go, whoa, you know, there's a, there's a chorus here of witnesses. And I think at best it causes us to wonder how will the church change in the next 50 years? What kind of prophetic calls are coming to us now about how to change, how to respond. Um, But it sure also like makes me, um, yeah, just tremendous gratitude of those who've come before. And um, yeah, and, and the struggles that those women have dealt with. But yeah, I'm not alone. And I'm excited that there are gifted women of so many kinds taking leadership roles of a wide variety. Um, and we can lift them up and say thank you and celebrate them. Yeah. Speaking of struggles, <laughs> yeah. it seems like the Black Lives Matters protest in Spokane have kind of um, slowed a little bit, but that's yeah. still very much um, a topic. And when you guys marched, was that the first time you had gathered in person as a church? It was. In the last, I imagine. So emotional, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, we're still a church. We still do this. Yay. Yeah. Um, we pulled out our little, we have a banner, you know, that says Salem Movement Church. Um, we did our best to be distant and wear masks and everything. But no, it felt so good to participate. And, you know, the experience we had was of a very passionate protest. And I would use the word protest, you know, it was, it was speaking against uh, injustice. You know, we often, when we, when we have an event like that, we would say it's a witness or a, you know, a, uh, or even lament. Um, but no, I, I was grateful to participate in a true protest and hear the voices of people of color uh, in leadership there. And it was free of consternation or violence or anything like that. And we were gone by 4 p.m. And interestingly, you know, it, it kind of went from downtown up to the courthouse, which is actually very close to where Salem is. So we just walked back down Broadway and kept talking. And to my understanding, uh, anything violent or out of the ordin- out of orderliness uh, happened downtown much later. And, um, you know, I also understand those voices that are saying, when a whole when a whole system is built on theft, uh, obsessing about these little expressions of theft are kind of miss miss the point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, how do you continue that work mm-hmm. online? I guess right now. Right. I know. It, yeah. It really it grieves me because I think being in person together on these things is so much better, particularly for discussing things like. How do we participate in white supremacy? Like that can go, that can go to the core, you know, and like can be difficult. Well, there's a few different things. We actually, there's two lay people who pretty quickly said, Salem needs an anti-racism task force. I was like, that sounds awesome. Um, I was, I, I still am a little uh, wary just because, you know, a liberal institutions love to like make a task force. And then it's like, well, we, we took care of it because we have a task force. <laughs> Um, I think, I think we will, we won't do that, but, uh, but I really wanted to honor these, these two women and they're, they're called to take action. So, and I was pushing them to say maybe job number one of the task force is to look at how Salem can come alongside groups like SCAR, um, and read the platform for change that SCAR has created and then kind of perceive that to be like a task list or a 
a list of ways to engage, you know, so to take an issue that they name there um, and become engaged around it. So that's where we're at right now. We don't know quite what we're going to do or how we're going to jump in, but. It's really cool to see so many lay people taking a lead in different things in your church. Yeah, I know, I know. You kind of, you never know when you preach or, you know, <laughs> pray and plant these little seeds, but it, God is good and these things grow and yeah. yeah. Now, what is your plan for reopening? Oh, it's hard even to say that we have a plan. Uh, we were beginning to ponder um, and still are, I guess, but we're going more slowly. We were pondering at home, very small groups meeting outside. Um, and I actually broke down the whole congregation in terms of geography and like clumped There's about nine different groups around Spokane. So I think I will invite people to engage that way first. We have a lovely Spokane climate that probably means we can be outdoors for several months still. And that's awesome. And then I've wondered, actually, we have a couple of our folks in their 80s that aren't online at all and wondering, okay, well, if we really put them in a kind of protected spot in the sanctuary and we all masked up and we're very cautious, could we welcome them on a Sunday, keep them distant from each other, et cetera? I don't know. So we're just beginning to, to weigh these things. So I think truly reopening the sanctuary is a long way out. I know my colleagues up at St. Mark's have said phase four. So that's like a, you know, they're sinking it to the, to the governor's phases, which is great. We haven't gone that, that deliberate yet, that certain yet, but um, for sure we're going to do initial or, or the, the first things we'll do will be outdoors in small groups long before we consider an open sanctuary. So it yeah. could be a while. And that's the other thing that's kind of, you got to take time to grieve is like, I really had my heart set on Pentecost and that was <laughs> over a month ago. And uh, so now it's like Advent. <laughs> I know. Oh, um, and that's, you know, it's okay. We'll be all right. We'll, we'll learn how to do this. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. God, like I said, God is good. <laughs> God. Yeah. Got to keep that in the forefront, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. We're still God's people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you guys still making um, or, or trying to raise money for building improvements in the meantime? Or? Oh, thanks for asking. We're not actively right now. I think we got the roof paid off. <laughs> Funny enough, we recognized that the air conditioner in the sanctuary was broken last summer and kind of had our eye on that fix it. But there's only two of us in there. So, <laughs> or, you know, very small handful of us. And we open the windows and get some cross breeze. It's kind of like, well, that's less of an urgent need. <laughs> so, <laughs> um yeah, I don't, not, not building improvements per se um, in time. You know, um, another piece of conversation for us is we still feel that we're called to this topic of housing. So should we feel, a lot in partnership with our nonprofit Spokane Urban Ministries, if we feel called to build again, that will be a, a fundraising task. But short of that... Yeah, that's a kind of on pause right now. Yeah, sure. At least it's been a nice kind of cool summer so far. So that, right. <laughs> that helps you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Now I have to put a plug um, for your, your Twitter. Oh, really? <laughs> Lectionary oh. Cook. Um, oh. <laughs> 
So you're pretty active. You, I mean, you, ha- you have lots of good things to say on there. Um, well, thank you. Is, is cooking your, your outlet uh, right now? Thank you. It is. Yes. Um, I love it. And I love sharing it with my family. And I think that's just an area of, of um, joy that I have that connects to faith is that food is so basic and also so spiritual. And so um, it's, a, it's this way we show love. We experience God's love over and over in the, in the Bible. It's how um, people become community. You know, it's, and it's how community breaks apart and expands, you know? So in like in Acts chapter 10, God is telling Peter, look, you can be in community with the Gentiles, with people that you defined as unclean. And I'm going to explain that to you by showing what you can eat. So here's this way of eating that is like foreign and, and scary to you. Well, now that you've experienced that, I want you to go build relationships with these people that previously have been defined as other. So like food is this way that God teaches us, God nourishes us. And the, that Twitter handle came from <laughs> an idea. And I really should, I should use you as a, as a resource to understand how I may, I might do this someday. Cause it does feel like it's pandemic would be a great time for it. But I was dreaming of a podcast or a, or a video podcast or something in which people would get together and cook something and talk about the upcoming lessons in the lectionary and not like have it fit. Like you don't have to like make lentils cause lentils are, you know, like not connected deeply to <laughs> be corny, but um, just to say like, here's my favorite baguette recipe. What, what's in the lectionary? Let's just talk about it. Just talk over food about mm. the Bible. I really, I deeply believe that um, we are embodied and ugh, which makes these um, this current time hard when everything's disembodied. <laughs> but so um, yeah, you're right. Yes. Cooking is nourishing for me. And I think uh, it's, it's something that can define us as, as Christians, if we receive what God offers us there, the gifts of community, the gifts of deep nourishment of culture uh, and joy. So yeah, I love the podcast idea. That's cool. (laughs) Well, yeah, I may have to come, uh, come ask you. Yeah. Anytime. (laughs) Have you heard Nadia Bowles Weber's new podcast? Yes. She's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Another good Lutheran. (laughs) High five, Nadia. Well, um, yeah, well, this has been great. Thank I got to tell you, I've been reading Wendell Berry and whenever I read Wendell Berry, I think of you because I know, oh, I know. You. You That's an incredible compliment. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's another one that voices, you know, connection to the land, connection to the body. Um, it's good. That was Reverend Leave Larson Andrews talking about her love of cooking and how she finds it a sacred act of service. Thanks for listening to Faves Forward which you can find on our website, SpokaneFaves.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We're in the middle of a fundraiser, and honestly, guys, it feels like we're just stuck in the middle. Can you help us get over the hump? You can make a donation on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Thanks so much. I'll see you next week.